2: What is up, everyone? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey. I am Golden Knights beat reporter Ben Goats, joined on the line by my colleagues Dave Shane and Adam Hill. We've got so much to talk to you guys about today. There have been a lot of weeks in recent months where we have tried really hard to come up with things to talk about that is not the case this week we have a lot of topics to get to including some golden knights contract news some potential hub city buzz and some conference calls with uh some of the golden knight key figures but before we get to all that i want to remind everyone that the golden edge podcast is sponsored by sdn sports mobile from station casinos we are presented by a favor drinkafavor.com, and of course check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com subscribe please so we get that money i know times are tight right now but your local news outlets appreciate it and then of course uh make sure to rate review subscribe to this podcast whatever you do with podcasts normally please do with us because it helps other people find us uh all that being said uh guys how we doing dave i'll start with you good good it feels like we're uh getting closer to having
0: hockey back, uh, having things to cover a little more concretely. I know, uh, I know Adam, uh, wants everybody to pump the brakes, but, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be optimistic about everything. I'm, I need a haircut badly, but you know, other than
2: that doing well. I mean, I like the flow you've been rocking on our, our various staff zoom calls personally. So I, I recommend keeping it, keeping it going. Adam, what say you,
1: um, I mean, I like that it keeps going because then it's something to very easily make fun of on our Zoom conference calls uh, with the staff. Uh, I think it's getting to a good point, though. I think uh, John Merrill would be proud of you uh, for sure of what you got going on right now. But, yeah, things are good. And uh, hockey actually may end up being the only sport this year, which is cool. And uh, we can uh, continue to get into that a little bit as well.
2: Yeah, uh, certainly baseball, as we're recording right now, is just uh, an absolute mess. The NBA, there's a little mini, I don't know if the player revolt is the right word, but there are definitely some loud players voicing some concerns with the restart plan. The NHL is not there yet. It still hasn't quite hammered out all of what its kind of bubbles would look like. But we do have a pretty good sense at this point now that one of those bubbles... Is probably gonna be Las Vegas. Uh, our own reporter Johnny Katz on Friday wrote that the NHL was gonna announce by uh, next Monday, so that is the 22nd, what its hub cities are gonna be. He also said MGM is prepping as if Las Vegas will be selected. I think a lot of people kind of misconstrued what he was saying, is that Las Vegas is like a shoe in. No, Las Vegas is certainly a front runner, and I think we've talked about that before. But he was just saying, you know, MGM is uh, kind of quartering off some of its hotels and not reopening them just in case it is selected. Uh, those include Vidara and the Delano, which are non smoking, non gaming hotels. So those would make a ton, of ton of sense to kind of house all of these, you know, NHL players and personnel if Las Vegas is chone- chosen as one of the two hub cities that the NHL returns to and then sportsnet basically followed up that story the same night saying yep las vegas is probably going to get chosen and the athletic followed up with a story the next day saying it wasn't official that las vegas would be picked but yeah it's probably gonna get picked so a lot of las vegas momentum since uh the weekend basically started and i don't think we're surprised by any of this dave you broke down kind of the the Halahub hub cities were kind of set up in a recent article and you went through all the different candidates. And I think even there you were, you know, looking pretty confident that Las Vegas was near the top of the pecking order. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: it's been pretty clear for a while. The NHL, I mean, more than anything is everybody's kind of reported. And and as we've talked about and whenever the NHL loves Vegas, the NHL has a, has a, a relationship with MGM and the Vegas is a city hosting the awards and, I mean, everything that we've heard come out in the last, you know, couple of weeks and things like that, different reports about how the NHL feels about the ice here, that they love it, that they feel like even in the heat, you know, it's going to be one of the better ice surfaces. It's it's just kind of interesting to me in a way when you look back at three years ago, you know, four years ago, whatever it was. And all the people that had questions about Vegas as a hockey market. And is it viable? You know, what's going to happen when it's hot? What's going to happen if the teams say all this other, all these questions and whatever. And here we are, three, three and a half years later, or whatever it might be. And the NHL's facing potentially its most, you know, unique, I guess, playoff format and whatever. And Las Vegas is smack dab in the middle of it. I just, I just think it speaks to, you know, what the franchise has done, what the city's done, just you know, the the hockey market that they've created here so so quickly that Las Vegas would be such a factor in in all of this, you know, as the NHL considers all these different cities.
2: Yeah, two quick things to follow up on that. I mean, one, you mentioned the ice. I think it's important for people to remember that it's actually probably not gonna be that hard to make ice here. I think that's counterintuitive to what a lot of people think, but just remember that one, there's not going to be any fans in these buildings, so that's already a lot of body heat that you're taking out of these arenas. And then two, another big factor that can cause ice to get kind of sloppy in warm weather climates late in the season is that you're opening the doors for multiple hours each game to let fans in the building. So not only are there not going to be fans in the building emanating body heat, but you're not you know, opening the big front doors to let kind of some outside heat in either because there's no fans going through those front doors. So that will certainly make making and maintaining ice a lot easier at T-Mobile Arena and at all, you know kind of the locations that they end up putting ice in around town. And then two, I think a big factor that we should talk about here is one of the reasons the NHL loves Las Vegas too, is that there's things to do here. And while of course players won't be able to just roam around As they please, even in all these hotels, there's going to be multiple restaurants for them to go to. I would not be surprised if they organize, you know, golf outings for these guys. Basically, I think Las Vegas is, you know, one of the hub cities where guys would be, you know, not necessarily happy, but they would probably be less miserable than going to, say, a Dallas or a, you know, Minneapolis St. Paul, where there's probably not going to be an area to kind of quarter them off and leave them with a lot of things to do. I mean, Adam, I know, obviously, you are a uh, voracious defender of the city. I'm guessing there's going to be few places you would rather be quarantined for two months in the continental United States and Canada.
1: Ben, I think, like, I'm the president of the Chamber of Commerce here. I will scream and yell about how amazing Las Vegas is, you know, for days on end, and that's exactly what makes it a terrible hub city. Like it's, it's an awful, awful place. You want to go to the most miserable place possible so that you don't, you're not tempted to have guys go out and mingle and be amongst the crowd. Like you don't want people out. You want people staying within a bubble and not leaving. And I, I just don't know that Vegas is the, is the right place for that. Uh, I thought Edmonton was perfect. Uh, you know, Canada brings some challenges because uh, obviously the government and the quarantine there and uh, some of the issues that that brings, uh, but a place like that where everything cool is within like one city block and you never have to leave there except for the plan that they had to go uh, have a golf course that was, you know, specifically for the players and the coaches. Uh, that to me is a perfect type of place. Like the better the city, the worse. Nashville would be an awful place. Vegas would be a pretty bad place. L.A. would probably be a pretty bad one. Like anything that's fun and good is a bad place for a hub city. Uh, so that that's my thoughts on it. Uh, but at the same time, like, all those things are what makes it appealing uh, for the NHL. It's it's part of, like, hey, there's a lot of staffers and network people and broadcasters, and uh, they all want to want to go somewhere fun if they're going to be stuck somewhere for a couple of months. Uh, so, you know, I think that's that's the kind of push and pull you have. Uh, but, you know, th- there is a reason that it hasn't been announced and it hasn't been confirmed yet. Like, they, they are still waiting on how our reopening went, how the numbers look over the next week. Uh, I think that could impact... Uh, how things go for sure uh, with you know with the NHL's announcement. I think if if not for all those factors, I think they would have announced the Ve- they would announce Vegas right away. Uh, but that is that's part of the problem. And then you know the other thing that you know, we still have to wait on is what are they doing about Vegas? And it looks like there's at least one report that uh, they'll just have the Eastern teams in Vegas and the Western teams and whatever other hub city they have to avoid teams playing at home, which Adds another interesting level to all of this.
2: No, definitely. I mean, we talked to Golden Knights general manager Kelly McCrimmon on a Zoom call yesterday. We're going to kind of break that down in a bit, but one takeaway was he said they have not been officially told whether they would be allowed to play in Las Vegas or not play in Las Vegas. You would think if they, you know, choose to go to an Eastern Conference city or a city like LA that you know doesn't have anyone in the playoffs, that they would probably prefer to not have the Golden Knights play in their home rink. But who knows? There's still a lot to be determined, as Adam said. It's certainly not official that Las Vegas is a hub city yet. I mean, we saw uh, yesterday as we're recording this on a Tuesday morning, uh, Governor Steve Sisolak didn't you know, decide to kind of proceed to phase three of Nevada's reopening plan. The uh, number of COVID-19 cases in Nevada is on the upswing, and that's probably partially due to kind of reopening casinos and stuff. So there's still a lot of you know, bridges to cross before the NHL makes its official decision. Um, But Dave, like I said, you've broken this down before uh, at reviewjournal.com. What are kind of the other contenders that you're aware of right now? Well, I mean, I think the interesting thing to note
0: in terms of today, as you mentioned, Tuesday morning, we're recording this, was the border restriction between the U.S. and Canada for non-essential travel was extended to July 21st. While that happened, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also basically said if the NHL and those three potential hub cities want to be chosen as a hub and the NHL decides it, that the Canadian government is fine with that as long as it's okayed by, I think he said, provincial health officials and and all that. So it leaves the door open for a city like Toronto to potentially be chosen it's in the eastern time zone so if you're going to split tv and all that it works and and having one in the eastern you know time zone and, and one out here if it's you know vegas or or maybe potentially los angeles even um so so i think there's that and i think there's all the factors of having it in canada certainly there's financial considerations for the nhl uh canadian dollar would stretch a lot a lot further up there um, it would be less expensive to stage events and and things like that. Certainly, Toronto would be uh, you know kind of an epicenter. It, it's a it's a hockey mecca. I kind of compared it jokingly to you know the Beatles playing at Anfield and Liverpool or something like that. If if the you know the playoffs are back there and in, in the Stanley Cup, I mean, it would have a lot of buzz. It it, it would have all the you know the built in hockey marketing and, and and all of that sort of going for it. So if things are clear, you know, that that seems to be maybe the Canadian favorite right now over Edmonton. Um, we've also heard, you know, potentially even Chicago gaining some momentum. I think Columbus has always been right there. Um, and you mentioned too, Ben, uh, Los Angeles seems to sort of be gaining favor. Maybe that's as a as a backup in case things here don't work And the in the NHL really wants something out west. I don't know. But those seem to be the 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 areas mentioned the most kind of right now at this point.
2: They say a healthy gut means a healthy you favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Yeah, LA, the idea is very similar to Las Vegas in terms of you'd be able to kind of corner off a lot of the area around LA Live and form a bubble around there where you're still giving guys some stuff to do in some areas that they can go visit and basically not just keep them in their hotel rooms for two months, which, you know, has a good chance of driving them crazy. But I think Toronto also makes sense for a number of reasons. As Dave mentioned, it's cheaper to play there. And then because it's a different time zone than potentially a more uh, western hub city, you could have games basically going all day. And as Adam mentioned, because a lot of these other sports are having issues, it would be a chance for hockey to just kind of rule the roost for a while. But we'll definitely keep monitoring All these Hub City developments, as kind of stated off the top, our own Johnny Katz believes that uh, decisions could be coming in about a week. So certainly maybe the next time we talk to you guys, we have official news to break down. But uh, speaking of kind of more official news to talk about on the day that a lot of that Hub City stuff was coming out, Mark Stone took some time to hop on a Zoom call with some of us reporters. Uh, Dave you asked him specifically about potentially getting back to play and the fact that training camps are going to open July 10th, if all goes to plans and they're being kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. And here's what Mark stone had to say about that.
3: Well, I can't speak for everybody, but speaking for myself, um, I'm excited. Um, I want to compete for the Stanley cup. Um, I want to play hockey. I want to get back to work. And and ultimately I want to, entertain people. Um everybody that I hear or see uh all they're talking about in this city especially is when are you guys gonna play. We wanna watch you guys play. So um just being at the first two skates at the uh at City National, um never felt um you know uneasy, uh, felt comfortable uh with testing and everything. So um I'm just excited. I know a lot of my teammates are feel the same. We want to we know we have a great team. We want to have a chance to win. And we want to, uh, I think sports can kind of bring people together. And I think a lot of people are watching the golf today. Uh, they're excited to see some some live entertainment. Um, for me, I want to entertain the people again. I think a lot of us do.
2: So there's Mark Stone, obviously fired up to get back on the ice and get back playing some hockey. And despite a uh, very spotty connection at times, wherever he was, it was good to hear him talk about all that stuff and you know how pumped he was to potentially compete for the Stanley Cup and he wasn't the only uh you know representative of the Golden Knights that spoke to the media recently as I mentioned earlier general manager Kelly McCrimmon was on a zoom call with us yesterday and here's a little bit of what he had to say
3: well we've had real good turnout we're fortunate that so many of our players stayed in Las Vegas and didn't uh, didn't leave uh, during the pause. So the quarantines and the transitions back to the home city, those things have taken care of themselves. Uh, you know, I've mentioned a few times here already today and in previous interviews that our players uh, are anxious to play. So uh, the chance to get back on the ice. When you look at today's player. Uh, very few of them would have ever been off the ice as long as what uh, they have been. So uh, they're anxious to get back on the ice. Our uh, medical team, our equipment team have done a tremendous job uh, preparing the facility. There's a lot that goes into this. It's a very complex, uh, detailed, uh, oriented type of uh, procedure. But the players are uh, really happy to be uh, back getting in shape, uh, getting their feet back under them, getting on ice, and hopefully, uh, as we mentioned, preparing for phase three and the and regular training camp. So uh, we're excited about the uh, turnout that there's been, and uh, I think that it uh, is a good sign for us.
2: So there's McCrimmon talking a little bit about how phase two has gone for the team so far. He's obviously pretty pleased with the turnout that they've had. Uh, you can get highlights from both conversations at reviewjournal.com of course are words written and some video too but adam kind of uh following these talks what were some of your you know big takeaways from what stone or McCrimmon kind of said
1: well i mean i just think you you sense the the optimism i mean it's not you know i think with mark stone especially you're not going to get any uh, you know, overwhelming optimism and he's not going to be like the most excited guy, you know, off the, off the ice. You see how excited he gets on the ice. It, it doesn't really happen uh, when he's just talking about it, but you can, you can tell uh, that the, you know, uh, optimism and kind of excitement is there about getting back. And uh, I think the biggest takeaway is just kind of hearing guys talk again. Like it's starting to feel real, right. Where, you know, you have all these you know proposals and plans and hub cities and, You know all this stuff to talk about of like you know when are we going to get out there? But when you start to hear you know interviews with them again about coming back to play, I think you just start to to finally sense like okay, we have something we have something here on the horizon. It's it's going to be here soon, and uh, we're going to see hockey again soon. And uh, certainly to hear you know McCrimmon talk about some of the some of the uh, offseason moves like extending some players and you know in particular Ryan Reeves, like we'll get into. Um, you know, it's start. It's starting to feel real again. I think that was the the biggest things that I got from just kind of listening to them a little bit.
2: Yeah, Dave. Uh, what stood out to you? I guess specifically, obviously, I think Stone. The key takeaway was the key takeaway that he was excited to get back on the ice skating with his buddies. But uh, what did you kind of find interesting about what uh, Kelly McCrimmon said yesterday? So really quick, I want to go back to something
0: Adam said earlier about Vegas and the hub city, like. It's a good thing you're not negotiating for the NHL PA right now, right? Cause you would you would like send them to like Munich or something to play or whatever, you know?
1: No, I like any kind of isolated place where you could build like an island and have a rink, that's what it would be. Like the safest thing is to not have any interaction. I, I you know part of the part of the plans of these hub cities too is Sure. You can isolate guys. I don't think they're going to like actually have like a zone where you can't leave and like, Hey, here's the fence. You can't walk past this. Um, it's, it's going to be tough to control human beings for, you know, two months at a time and tell them where they can and can't go. And then even, even if you can, you've also got, you know, you've also got other people that are around. You've also got employees of properties that are going home every day, Uh, like part of the, part of the one in Orlando, I was like, okay, so they're going to, are they going to have the the hotel employees also in this bubble for three and a half months? Because they're going to go home at night. Right. And they're going to go to restaurants at night. And I've, I was in Orlando a couple weeks ago for work. People are being reckless there. Just like a lot of people are being reckless here. Like that, that's the issue is that you need to find a place that's a true bubble and that it doesn't seem like that's, what's going to happen. So I, I'm just concerned about that. And like, I just feel like if you're in a more boring place, you don't have the temptations to go out all the time like you would. Yeah,
0: no, I'm with you. I mean, that's one of the things I found interesting about the bids sort of in general is you have this disparity between sort of the setup in Edmonton and kind of Columbus, which, which you could create kind of that bubble like you're talking about versus, you know, here or LA where, you know, you've got practice ice and it's available, but you have to go kind of, I guess off campus, let's say to to yeah, practice and things Dave, like that. Col-
1: so, and Dave Columbus is objectively the worst place in the world. So, <laughs> I, I I would think that's that's a place that you could go and nobody would have any interest in going anywhere. And that not just not just because I'm a Michigan fan from Ann Arbor, even as a
0: Badger fan, I could probably get behind that a little bit. Um,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to to veer off. The- from, from Ben's question, I mean, to get back to, to Kelly McCrimmon, I mean, I thought, you know, again, like you said, Ben, it's, it was interesting sort of with, with him. That like, there wasn't a whole lot of news, I guess, you know. Maybe the news was Cody Glass is not going to be available for, you know, consideration if they have extended rosters. Um, they still don't know about Jack Dugan, but kind of tells me that he hasn't signed, like, they're going to wait until the very end. Maybe he would be under consideration. Um, but right now, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, his focus is probably on, you know, what the roster is going to look like for for training camp and, and things going forward. The, they're waiting to hear from the NHL if it's going to be the 28. Um, you know, he addressed other things like we had mentioned with with the Hub City and and the reseeding and, and kind of the round robin. He, he was certainly in favor of, of playing games early and and being able to get their legs under him and not you know walking in cold as and and having to face a team that had come off a playoff series win and and feeling like that you know that opponent would have an advantage so you know he liked that but i don't think there was anything you know really i guess earth shattering newsworthy you know to come of it so i just think you know like you guys have mentioned earlier it's a lot of sort of the optimism there's there's steps going forward we've Heard an, you know, a hard date about potentially training camp starting and all of that. So, Kelly McCrimmon is kind of a creature of habit. He's mentioned sort of, you know, that being, you know, sort of linked to the, the to the calendar and everything. Sort of happens at, at times, you know, during the year. So now that he's got something to point toward, and in the front office and George McPhee and the coaching staff and everybody's sort of, you know, has a target in front of them. I think, you know, everybody's just sort of falling back into the routine i guess you could say
2: yeah and then i guess we can move on to our next thing is the goal for the golden knights that also means the routine of taking care of their roster and they had a big transaction yesterday as we're recording this they signed ryan reeves who we will talk a lot about to kind of close out this show to a two-year extension worth 1.75 million dollars Uh, in annual average value that's down from his previous two-year deal that was worth uh, 2.775 million each year Uh, we kind of predicted that this is how it would go on previous podcasts Reeves loves being here he mentioned uh, last year when he was marrying a couple that he would love to retire in Las Vegas he's obviously got business interests including his brewing company and the Knights really value his role I think there's obviously an undercurrent of kind of more analytically focused people in hockey that are, you know, unsure about quote unquote enforcers at this point. And certainly the game has uh, phased those guys out as it's gotten faster and more skilled in recent seasons. But the Knights certainly believe that Ryan Reeves still has a place and he's certainly been effective the past two years. Uh, with that previous contract, they also kind of did him a solid because they gave him what he would have made in a three-year deal just over two years. And so this is kind of him doing them a solid back by taking about a 40% pay cut. Uh, let's quick listen to Reeves announce the deal himself on Twitter. What's up,
3: Vegas? How you doing? It's your boy, Revo. Now, look, I've been doing a lot of thinking lately, and there's two things I haven't accomplished.
2: Number one, haven't won a Stanley Cup. Number two, haven't won a scoring title. Now, I can win a Stanley Cup this year. I can do it. Can't win a, Can't win the scoring title can't do it just missed it by a couple points and I also can't do it next year if I don't have a contract so I am happy to announce that I just signed a two-year extension with your Vegas Golden Knights I'm back baby so there is Reeves confidently announcing his new contract as well as the fact that he has Abe's at a scoring title he was only 95 points off the pace last year or this year, I should say. So I think he's got it in him to close that gap. Uh, you know, Dave, did this deal make sense to you? Yeah, for the most part.
0: I mean, like you said, he took a he took a pay cut. He took a hometown discount. I guess you could call it. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I, I'd like to bring it up with you guys. Is 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 it an overpay? I mean, it's what basically a million dollars less AAV than what he was making. And, you know, one of I was talking to somebody about this and, and one of the guys that I kind of look at and sort of compare him to, and, and I don't, I don't in some ways look at him as an enforcer anymore. I almost kind of look at him as, you know, maybe just that physical fourth line guy, but Matt Martin in New York with the Islanders is a similar player, probably statistically, you know, always up there with among the league lead and hits, Um, things like that. And Matt Martin is at the end of a two point or is it $2.5 million AAV? Um, He'll be 31 um, next season. So I, you know, when you look at like what a player like Matt Martin makes versus a player like what Ryan Reeves makes, I don't know. I don't think it's a a major over overpay or anything. I, I, I think there's some value to a guy like Ryan Reeves, being a fan favorite and, and keeping him here. Maybe you guys have a different opinion, but I don't
2: think it's a bad deal at all. Adam, what are, what are your thoughts on that? And what Dave's saying?
1: No, I think, I think you described it well, Ben of, of, you know, where they were on the contract last time and where they, where they arrived on it this time of Reeves, just kind of saying like, okay, I'll take the pay cut. I think that's, you know, that's appropriate uh, in his mind. And um, I, I feel like he's a guy who provides more. I mean, when, when he's called an enforcer, uh, you know, I get it. And I, I think that was part of, you know, kind of the, uh, the role that was projected, but I think far more than that, he's a guy who just impacts the team all around when he's on the ice, he gives him a lift and that's kind of what that role does. But he's also such a good locker room guy that I think, uh, he provides value in a lot of different ways. Uh, even, even beyond just the, you know, the stats of the hits and, uh, you know, how, how you kind of quantify that role, uh, I think it's tough to do because of everything else that he brings. And certainly, you know, I, I don't think that it really is a factor for most uh, organizations necessarily. But um, I think when you look at the, the community involvement too and, and what he's meant to the community and how he's helped, um, you know, you know, become how he's become a fan favorite and how everybody loves when he's on the ice and it lifts the team and everything else. Like he just means so much to the organization and the city. If you can get him at that kind of a, a deal – Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to have a guy like that on your roster, and um, he certainly has not, you know, brought them down. Is on the ice. In fact, you know, his line has so often been the the line that uh, really, you know, lifts them and carries them and and helps them gain momentum in games. So I think I think he's had a lot of positive success. Uh, And if they move him up to you know the second line, he will get that scoring title. I think obviously not going to happen. But it was very funny the way he announced it.
2: Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, Reeves is uh, 33. He is, of course, not known for his offense, but he did have uh, 15 points this year, which is the second highest total of his career. He had a career high 20 last year. We obviously saw that Gerard Glantwin, he was with the Golden Knights, really appreciated what Reeves kind of Brought in that physical role, that kind of physical fourth line with a heavy forecheck that could kind of wear down opponents, put the Knights in advantageous situations with an offensive zone draw, something like that. And Pete DeBoer uh, actually leaned on those fourth line guys more kind of, uh, I, I would say, somewhat surprisingly. He obviously had the fourth line start a lot of games when he was here. So I think that kind of shows the respect that Ryan Reeves has among you know, the Knights coaching staff and overall organization. And I think this new deal speaks to that. And yeah, Adam kind of brought up that Reeves isn't just seen as that enforcer. And Dave, you did too. And I think what's key for people to remember about Ryan Reeves is he's not just kind of trying to be a bully out there. He is smart. He is calculating. He knows what he's doing kind of at all times. I mean, I wrote in the story uh, I had earlier this off or not off season earlier, this pause kind of addressing where his game was at and talked about. I mean, he's only 59th in the league in penalty minutes. I mean, this is not a guy that's putting his team on the PK all that often. And in fact, he's only uh, taken two more penalties than he's drawn. So he's very smart with how he approaches the game. He's very cerebral. He knows what he's doing when he decides to actually, you know, engage with an opponent or fight them. And he, knows what he's doing when he's uh, fighting as well. Adam wrote a great story last year about how much he thinks about all this stuff and how he tries to kind of affect the game for his team. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think it makes a lot of sense. Maybe you could say the Knights could have waited a little bit longer to see how COVID-19 would impact kind of the league's financial picture as a whole. But for right now, as we're sitting here, I think as we've all talked about, this deal makes kind of a lot of sense for... Both parties, um, but then I want to get into something different with Reeves too, because he was on the uh, Knight's official podcast uh, last week before this extension news came out, and that podcast is called Sheriff Lawless and some guy named Dave. And then he also spoke to our colleague at the Review Journal, Ed Greeny, about everything that's obviously happened in the past few weeks since the murder of George Floyd by a police officer in Minneapolis, and then this kind of heightened awareness of the just massive role racism has played in our society is playing in our society and potentially will continue to play in our society unless things change i obviously highly encourage people to check out reeves comments as we've addressed the last couple weeks as when we're trying to dance around kind of these issues we certainly all think that they're important but we are also uh three people of non-color talking about them so to have reeves who is biracial Talk about them, I think, is uh, very important. And that's something that people should really, you know, hopefully listen to and take to heart and kind of take lessons from. Especially, I think, you know, he told a story on the podcast of getting pulled over in Winnipeg. And it's a story that I don't think many white people can relate to. And certainly I can't, you know, relate to that. I have never had a similar experience to that. And that's a problem that hopefully will, you know, be addressed uh, by our society. Reeves also mentioned that he wants to get involved in changing things. We've talked about the Hockey Diversity Alliance getting formed by Evander Kane and Akeem Alou, kind of as co-founders. And Reeves said he wants to get involved, despite his, of course, history with Kane. Um, And then what was interesting, specifically in Ed's column, is Reeves talked about how the whole police brutality aspect of kind of everything that's been talked about and police reform that's been talked about in the past couple weeks is a little bit naughtier for him just because his family has been involved in law enforcement for, I mean, just generations. Uh, His father, Willard, was a sergeant with the Manitoba Sheriff Services. And then Reeves, great, great, great grandfather, was the first black deputy west of the Mississippi, which is you know, crazy to think about. I mean, Ed wrote basically he was the first known as the first kind of Lone Ranger, um, which I certainly don't think that perspective from Reeves that he, you know, wants to see change in how the police approach things, especially when it comes to kind of race relations. But also he wants to respect, you know, the work that, you know, law enforcement in general does to protect people and the risks they take. You know, I think that's a line that a lot of people, are trying to walk. And so I think it was interesting to hear him talk about that. Um, You know, overall I'll just kind of toss it to you guys. Is there anything else that stood out from what Reeves was kind of talking about? He's actually scheduled to do a zoom call with the media today to talk about his extension. And I'm sure he'll probably be asked me more about his thoughts on all these issues. But what, what stood out to you guys from, you know, reading, listening, to what Reeves had to say over the past week about all this stuff. Uh,
1: um, so my, my takeaway, and I think you, you know, you pretty accurately and very well summed up uh, a lot of his thoughts, Ben. but um, I, I think listening to him and sharing his experience and especially, you know, coming from both sides of this and being very conflicted uh, about, you know, about the whole issue and, and being, obviously careful in what he was saying, but also very thoughtful in, um, in expressing why, uh, he has, you know, such conflicting opinions, I think is, is a really powerful thing. And that like, I I think a lot of people just look at, you know, Oh, th- there's one side of this issue or there's the other side. And you can't, you can't toe the line, you can't, you know, sit on the fence on this. Well, there is a lot of people in, in similar positions who who do have, you know, different kind of opinions and different thoughts and not everybody thinks the same. Um, that's part of, I think what a lot, a lot of people don't understand, even people that consider themselves, you know, know, whatever you want to say, progressive on this, or, um, you know, really sympathetic to, um, the black lives matter protests and things like that. Like even people that are that are, I think, fail to realize that there is, people of different races that are not just thinking of one mind. Like there are people that have, have different opinions and have feelings that are um, kind of born from different type of experiences. And I think that's important to kind of, to kind of share that and to realize uh, that's part of diversity is that, you know, d- different cultures have different thoughts within them. And I think a lot of people don't never realize that and, and don't think about that critically enough. And and I think it's really powerful to hear Ryan Reeves talking the way he does in that, Hey, I have family that is law enforcement. I come from a law enforcement family, but at the same time, I've had these experiences and I understand, you know, why, you know, why it's such an issue and why there is fear and why there is difficult relationships uh, between law enforcement and, and, you know, um, minority communities. Like he he is somebody that understands all that, but also has these strong feelings that come from his family. So I I think that that's part of the very important and, and powerful part of what Ryan Reeves has been talking about.
2: Yeah, totally. And obviously, I think he speaks for a lot of people. And once again, I encourage people to check out his comments in full, either on, once again, the night's official podcast or our own Ed Graney has a column up on ReviewJournal.com talking to not only Reeves, but his father, Willard, too, about, you know, his experiences and his perspective on everything that's happened in the past couple of weeks, because, you know, talking in their own words probably explains their feelings better than any of us, uh, really can. Uh Dave, do you have anything to add on this?
0: I mean I think I think you guys summed it up pretty well. And I think, you know, Ed's column especially summed up sort of the conflict that that's within him. But I think what was really clear to me listening to the podcast and, you know, reading the column and and talking to Ed a little bit afterward is I I think where Ryan Reese is comfortable with this and, and again you know, we don't all we don't know these guys very well. Like we talk to them in the locker room and and yeah, we can guess. And and sometimes they open up to us and 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 that's cool when they do, but I mean I'm I'm sort of trying to put myself into his shoes and and understand his thought process here. And and what seemed to be clear to me with it is where he's comfortable is sort of that, you know, changing the the diversity in hockey, like you mentioned, Ben. And And getting into communities and and like he said in the podcast letting kids you know of color who are a minority whatever it might be see players that look like them and talk like them where jordan's like them um he mentioned you know earrings and whatever it might be they you know kids in 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 cities that aren't exposed to hockey that that seems to be where he's most comfortable, and trying to make a difference. And it's a it's a it's a much needed area of change. It, it's something that that needs to get you know progressively better. You, you talked about it last week, Ben, about you know playing against you know one player who was African American in your entire hockey career. I mean, I had I think one teammate. I remember in Southern California there was you know the Nelson family. Um, Chris Nelson played at Wisconsin and and Burke Nelson played it at, at Colorado College. Um, but it, there needs to be, you know, more more minority players, more African-American players, more black players from Canada, whatever it might be. And and I think that's where Ryan Reeves feels most like he can make a difference in and, and, you know, enact
2: a change. No, totally. And to Reeves's credit, and I would say the the Golden Knights credit as a whole, they've been. You know, I would say decently active trying to grow the game in that way. I've been to several street hockey clinics the Golden Knights have held in, you know, basically kind of minority communities, one that was, you know, co-led by Ryan Reeves along with Braden McNabb. So this is something he's worked on before. This is not like he's all of a sudden had an awakening that this was a problem just because of the George Floyd murder, but it will be certainly interesting to see how we kind of proceeds forward with all this like i mentioned he expressed interest in getting involved with the hockey diversity alliance and of course you know we'll be following up with him on that shirt certainly today and then probably for a long time to come on what change he's able to affect with his position and once again he'll maintain that position because he's got a new two-year extension with the golden knights well that's going to be It for us on this edition of the Golden Edge Podcast. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. As a reminder, uh, please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. Also, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you do with podcasts, please do to this podcast. Thanks so much to my colleagues Dave Shane and Adam Hill for joining me. Thanks to SDN Sports Mobile from Stage Casinos for sponsoring us. Thanks to Favor, Drinkafavor.com, for presenting us. I'm Ben Goetz, and we'll talk to you guys again